the the thing that made me kind of laugh was when Sinjin finds her um, lying outside of the house and he knocks on the door and the housekeeper answers and she's like, oh, Mr. Sinjin, come out of the storm. There are vagabond- vagabonds around. And she looks down and Jane is there. And she's like, you're still here? Scat! <laughs> Oh my god, that was so funny. I just imagine like if Sam came home and I was like, oh my god, so there's this like rat scratching at the door. Ew, it's still there. <laughs> and he's like, Piper, no, we are good Christians. We must bring this rat into our home and give it cheese. And I'd be like, mm, I guess. You guys would reluctantly adopt a rat. Yes, that is would. 100% something that would happen. <laughs> um, and then well, Sam would ask the rat to learn Hindu Sandhi and go with him to India. <laughs> Hey, Lillian. Happy Friday. We're back again. How are you? And to you, to our listeners, it's Monday and I can imagine that's awfully jarring. Oh, that's for a good us, point. it's a happy, happy Friday. Yeah. It's sunny out. We've got a nice weekend ahead of us. Um, and um, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to talk about the last two episodes of the 76 miniseries. I'm of... so ready. Yeah. Although before we dive into this, um, I do want to address something that uh, I misspoke about um, in the last episode. So I criticized the adaptation for not having Rochester help Jane with her slipper. Uh, and as that was coming out of my mouth, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know what, Piper, you may not be certain that this is actually a thing. You haven't actually read the book. And maybe you're just like remembering something wrong. But I was like, in that episode, oh, I remember this has happened. And also it's probably in the novel. Well, one of our very uh, good friends on Instagram, uh, who's also definitely a Jane Eyre expert from the Airbuds, uh, no, sorry, from the Jane Eyre Files podcast and Instagram account, mentioned there she's like I've read this book and I don't think it's in it I'm not sure what that's about and I was like shit I was wrong I totally just fever dreamed this moment (laughs) into existence and what was so funny to me about realizing that is that this is far from the first time I've done this like in my funniest example of a time when I fever dreamed the uh, something in a plot which in this case it was the movie, The Time Traveler's Wife. I was driving in the car with Sam and we were going to some event and I was telling him about this story and I was explaining the plot to him and I made up a scene in the ending in my mind. I thought it was real, but I just remembered it wrong. But the scene that I made up moved me so much. I started crying while describing it to Sam and it wasn't even real. I just like pretended, I guess. My mind was like, I think this is what happened. And I was like, anyway, it's a beautiful film and you should like watch it. And then the next time I watched it, that scene didn't exist. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, why? Why is my brain doing this to me? Well, I think that really speaks to, because it's easy for you to do what you've just done and frame it like it's a flaw. And I think it's not a flaw at all. I think it's, <laughs> it speaks to your, um, how creative and how vivid your imagination is that <laughs> did it actually happen in a movie that you watched or was the movie in your brain just that good? Oh my gosh. Thank you, um, Lillian. I take that as a high compliment. And I agree. I think it simply says that I need to vent my creative uh, interpretations and create some Jane Eyre fan fiction up in here at some point. So, well, and I think this is a great, I don't want to say content warning, but just like a heads up for our listeners that while we will come back and correct ourselves and you're going to learn cool things about grammar and also plots of books and and fun (laughs) facts about actors and things. When we first say something, if it sounds wrong, it's because we're just going for the vibe of the story, aren't we? Hell yeah. We haven't read the book Jane Eyre, but we constantly <laughs> compare adaptions 
to what is in the book that we haven't read. Like, oh you thought that this was going to be a purely fact-based and not vibe-based po- co- podcast. I don't know why you're here. I don't know either. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to me that we're like, we are totally qualified to discuss and analyze adaptations without ever even touching the source material. I don't think we've ever claimed to be no, qualified to do this. Have. I think we basically started with this seemed like a fun idea, like one of those <laughs> bad but really cool fun things to do. And so true. That's yes. We we said we were gonna watch a bunch of adaptions of Jane Eyre. I actually said I wasn't gonna read the book and now I own the book. So that's hey. a full step closer. Oh my gosh. So I think you, it's great that we will always, to let our listeners know that when we fever dream parts of Jane Eyre, (laughs) we will always tell them, hey, by the way, this was not real. Oh my God. But I would almost, as I've said before, my favorite adaption of Jane Eyre is you telling me (laughs) what happened in the plot with the level of intensity that I've never seen in life before. And I had no context beyond that. That was my first experience of Jane Eyre was you telling me what happened in the 83 version on a different podcast while Sam was desperately trying to get you to move on. (laughs) (laughs) Which again, who knows how many falsities I might've dropped in there during that, that recall. I mean, probably Jane didn't go to the Alps and was trained in martial arts and then came back and like kicked Rochester's blindness into oblivion. I have been Uh, wondering why we haven't seen that in any of the adaptions, because that is my favorite part of the book we haven't read. I know, right? Yeah. I love how you can just like kick blindness away. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so there's there's so many things to look forward to, everybody. Some facts, some fiction, some uh, hallucination. But uh, on that note, (laughs) yeah, we should. This is actually your turn to do the summary because I did the summary last time. Okay. Um. So are you emotionally prepared? And I will time you, even though it's only two episodes, so it doesn't really count in terms of ranking. And again, I'm not unhealthily competitive. Stop talking about it. (laughs) Um. But. I will start the timer when you start talking. Okay, that sounds good. So I'm about to start now. So um, these last two episodes, we get the proposal scene. Um, It's rather romantic and very dramatic, and we get to hear every word. She says yes. Um, They get dressed, and they go to the chapel, and it is interrupted. And we see Bertha, and it's the saddest portrayal of Bertha I've ever seen. This time, this movie, I'm Team Bertha. Um, all the way, 100%. Uh, Jane runs off and she finds uh, the tallest man in the world. And he is like, hey, what if we went to India? And she's like, nope, thanks for this nice uh, reprieve. Bye, goes back home. There he is. He's blind. He has a stump. Uh, and uh, they decide they're going to be together forever at the end. Yeah, that was 36 seconds. So the yes. fastest that we've done, yes. although it was for two episodes. Yes. So, so <laughs> I think that my 43 <laughs> seconds still stands as the record. Okay. Well, you can have that little <laughs> crown, Lillian. You keep Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> I did custom order a very expensive crown about this. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> quickest recap, it says in rhinestones. <laughs> what are your, those, you, you snuck in a few of your initial thoughts. Do you have any other ones before? Before I go with my initial thoughts. Since I snuck some in, you take the lead. Tell me what you thought about these two episodes. I was so disappointed in these two episodes because as we know, I really liked the first three episodes of this five-part series. Uh Um, I like parts of the next one. Like I liked the proposal a little bit. There were some awkward moments in the proposal. It felt really dragged out in a way Mm -hmm. that was sort of a bummer. And also... Then the morning after the proposal, Rochester took a quick minute to just like 
knock down Adele and Mrs. Fairfax for no reason. I know. Um, he said mean things about them. Just like immediately. And then I'm totally with you. I personally think the way they play this Bertha, she's not crazy. She just loves him and he locked her in an attic. Should we just dive right into the Bertha topic? Because that's Let's most of what I have Bertha. to say. I have some things about the, because that's the first episode is like pretty much that. And then she leaves. But I have mm-hmm. some serious thoughts about the next episode as well. So, okay. So let's then talk about Bertha. I want to say this video, this version definitely makes her a human where a human being and a person with a soul and feelings, and she is a trapped prisoner. And where other versions, she is this mysterious like dark thing versus being a vengeful, evil, hateful, violent woman here, total victim. And I think one of the big, many reasons why I see it this way, when we get the scene where Jane is sleeping in her bedroom and Bertha comes in to try on her clothes and tear the nightgown in other versions, we never see her face. She's just like shuffling feet and like a mat of hair here. She just comes in looking like a sad, scared woman. We see her face. She is a person. We have this wide range of emotions that she goes through. And it's like when she, if you walked into the bedroom of your husband's mistress, seeing that wedding gown and all that stuff there, I feel like I would act the exact same way. I would cry and be like, what the hell? Why is this happening to me? So she's made like, she's very humanized right off the bat. And then I think this is the only version that we've seen so far where she, she speaks and she says very sad words. I think her line is, when she when he brings everyone up to her room to be like this is the insane thing i'm married to she yells at him and she's like you lie you promised you would take me home and that's a very emotional and intelligent statement and it's like holy hell this poor lady so yeah seeing yeah. all of that i could not sympathize with rochester absolutely and i think when we're talking about berthas that get a little bit more screen time and get that humanity I think the only other parallel that we've seen so far is the 2006 version and what an extreme difference, right? Right. Because we see her as a person, but in that Rochester, it's like the same level of additional information about Bertha, Mm -hmm. but with that, Bertha is really well cared for. She's Mm -hmm. a real, she's very clean. She, Rochester is very clearly doing things for her to keep her safe and all of Mm -hmm. this stuff. And she is very clearly someone who did a lot of wrongs and needs help. And this is the best way to help her given the time period. Yeah. This is not that this woman is living in gross squalor on the floor, Mr. Rochester, even though like, even if let's, so I personally think the way they played it, you could fully believe that she's just a sad person who is is locked in an attic and her husband like just doesn't care about her and like doesn't really like her so he locked her up there and it made her crazy because that would make anyone crazy right but even if we give him the benefit of the doubt that she is crazy he like brings a bunch of people up there grace pool then says like hey she's like okay today can you please leave so you don't upset her because being Mm -hmm. here is gonna upset her Mm -hmm. and he like yells at everybody in the room again and says like no, like get out. Like there's just all of the sympathy that I had for him. All of the things that I liked for him about him Mm -hmm. in the first episodes gone. Mm -hmm. He, this Rochester, I think it's something that we see play with a lot of Rochesters where like the person they like the most is Jane. Mm -hmm. This Rochester, the only person he likes is Jane. Like he's just (laughs) a dick to every other human on earth. And like in some ways get out of there, girl. 
Yeah, no, seriously. The other note that I made about that scene is there's like so many ways in which Bertha is treated cruelly where before other versions we see Grace kind of like comforting her and like holding her. Here, Grace wraps a rope around her and like straps her to a chair. And also he has like, as we've said, no sympathy for her, only venom towards her. But there are other versions where after the scene is revealed and the Timothy Dalton version does this well, where he's like, after he explains the situation, he's like, please go now. I need to tend to my wife. And he'll sit down with her on the bed Mm -hmm. and kind of stroke her hair and be like, I'm here with you, Bertha. I'm sorry you're sick. And I'm sorry I keep you in this room. But here he's just like, he's like, yeah, she's gross. Let's leave. And it's like, dude, not even like a shred of sympathy. Yeah. Um, It just, it felt really bizarre and it was really sad. And then the way that he plays it again, when he talks to Jane, we've talked about how pivotal that scene is where he justifies Mm -hmm. his actions. And I didn't like it at all. Like I felt like it was, it, it played really similarly to the 83, except it missed the part, the only redeeming part I've talked about with the 83, where Timothy Dalton in that one, he comes in with this like really intense attitude, but Mm -hmm. then by the very end, you can see that desperation. You can see that vulnerability and you get that crack. Nope. Mm -mm. No, (laughs) he's sad. He's, he's for sure sad, but he's not like, I don't know. It just, it's, and maybe it's the way that I feel about the way that he plays it earlier, where I'm like kind of over it with him. And I'm like, dude, you suck actually. <laughs> um, and that, cause he just earlier, like, first of all, he let's, let's talk about the reasons why this Rochester plays slightly differently. Here are my reasons. Tell me. He actively gaslights her. Like we've yes. talked about that where it's like, are you accidentally gaslighting her about wanting to be with Ingram? Like, where are you mm-hmm. going with that? Mm-hmm. So he actively gaslights her. He's intentionally misleading her to make him, her believe that he wants to be with Ingram. And then he continues that during the proposal, mm-hmm. really driving that home, kind of apologizes, but then also says like, I just thought that was the only way you'd love me, um, <laughs> which sucked. Um, and then the next morning he's like, Hey, I hate my ward. And I wrote down the exact wording that he uses to describe them. He talks about the next morning. He talks about both Adele and Mrs. Fairfax. He calls Adele, the foolish girl, Adele and uh, simple Mrs. Fairfax. And again, we've talked about how sometimes it's this playful teasing. I really love them, Mm -hmm. but like, blah, blah, blah he is mocking Jane for liking them in this moment. He's like, you like the stupidest people and it's called (laughs) anyone, but you and me, like, that's like the vibe that I get from him. And I'm like, I guess I literally wrote in my notes underneath that. Well, thank goodness you're perfect. Thank God you don't have any flaws. (laughs) And there's nothing we need to forgive you for because you shouldn't forgive people for their flaws. Dude. Um, Oh my God. I know the, the simple Mrs. Fairfax, that one like hurt me too. Cause I was like, this lady is just trying to be pleasant. And like, she is not in a position where she can engage in the kind of in-depth conversation that you so crave. Because if she did, you'd be like, old lady, you're stepping out of line. Bring me my tea. (laughs) Well, and yeah. And she just like, what's wrong with her being good at the things she's good at? Like she takes care of the, she does way more to take care of this little girl than she needs to. She like makes sure that she's happy. She keeps your house with your crazy wife locked in the attic, like nice for you. And she just is like 
always happy to see your grumpy ass every time you come into the house. <laughs> She's like so, your biggest defender on earth and you can't stop mocking her. Um, and I think, again, I think other Rochesters do this, but it feels the, the mocking feels more sincere from him and it bothers me. I think that might come from kind of that vibe that I was picking up on in the early episodes where I was like, he gives me kind of a um, Mr. Collins vibe. Yeah. I don't know. It's that kind of like standoffish, like closed, like his, he's not very, because Rochester is supposed to be the really emotional one, right? Mm-hmm. Of the two like men in Jane's life. He's supposed to have all this passion and all this emotion. And I feel like he feels so closed off to me. Like he's guarding himself. And when he does like open up and express things, I don't think he ever really loses that initial kind of like high and mighty tone. So yeah. is that, that might be part of kind of like the vibes that we're both kind of picking up on. Um, I yeah. thought his softer moments in the proposal. And then at the end, um, when she returns to him, those I thought were his best moments. The proposal scene scene, I agree. It does go on a while. And I think what it does is it's doing what the first we talked about they did in the first episodes where this version really gives them plenty of time to talk and pays attention to what I assume is like a lot of the original dialogue and everything. Mm -hmm. But I kept thinking back to the, my favorite version with Timothy Dalton, where when he's doing that proposal scene, there's so much emotion in his voice Mm -hmm. and like everything, every word that's uttered is like, if you leave me now, I will die. Like, don't go. But from this guy, I don't know. It felt very, I wrote down soap opera a lot here. Yeah. Yeah, Of people like kind of being soap opera dramatic instead of like genuine dramatic. Well, and, and I think we see like little glimpses of that. Like I will say he does play certain moments with that right emotion, Mm -hmm. but but the gaslighting, and I know I keep talking about this, like how important that distinction is to me around like, even the ones where he is intentionally misleading her, mm-hmm. the ones that I like are the ones when he realizes how much that's hurting her, he pulls back. And in yeah. this one, he realizes it's hurting her and he finds it a fun part of the game. <laughs> and I find that really messed up. I don't like it. Um, and I will like, and, and I will say, I feel somewhat similarly to him as I do to the 97 version, um, with your Hines, Syrian Hines, Hines. there we go. And he, where I was like, I really liked him. And then Don made me hate him. Yep. <laughs> like, look at Rochester always pushing me away. Um, cause I do think like it's, it's hard because I like so many parts of the character of Rochester now that we've seen so many versions of him. Mm -hmm. And I just have such a specific way. I want them to play specific moments. Right. And I think it matters so much. I will say, well, I agree with you that there were some great moments in the proposal and there were some great moments when she comes back. Best Rochester moments are the world's longest interruption scene. <laughs> Whoa, do they spend a lot of time interrupting that wedding? Yeah, because they even pause. He's like, he's like, we're going to run in and do our dramatic interruption, right? And he's like, hold, maybe he'll confess himself. Let's <laughs> like, see if he's going to change his mind in the middle of this wedding. Yeah, he came all this way just to be like, oops, Jane, I brought you here to the altar to be like, psych. <laughs> And then Rochester's all, Rochester's all, um, you missed your chance earlier. And they were like, we were giving you another chance. Like they're like, he's going to get away with bigamy because they came in a little bit too late. Oh my God. Um, But it's, it's not the interruption is like, because we see them coming in at first, it's not that dramatic. 
most dramatic was the what it's scene where we see the horse throughout the, the movie, like throughout the wedding. I think yes. it was the 2006. I just become more and more of a fan the more versions we watch. So, so good. <laughs> um, the horse riding along and like jumping over fences and stuff, like none of that, which to be fair, the BBC had six pennies at this point. Um, <laughs> the super long interruption scene, like so probably 10 minutes of them in the church. It was wild. Yeah. However, the best moments of Rochester in this is when he is ripping apart Mason. What is his <laughs> full name? His full name is Richard, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. He calls him Dick like 16 times in this. I know, I know. <laughs> I'd sooner strike a woman than you is my favorite insult that he says oh. to Richard. Oh my God. He goes, um, I demand it again, Dick. And he like hits Dick so hard every, every time he says the word dick it is so clearly not his name and poor Richard Mason in this one world he's second biggest victim relative to his wife or his sister sorry yeah which this version I I kind of have always kind of picked up on this but this one I think because again I say I feel so much for Bertha and this this version really hit this home for me where I'm like yeah Richard is a good brother I mean apart from if we are to believe that he actually did take part in this, you know, convincing Rochester to marry his his sister. Who knows if that's true or not? Because is, is Rochester a narr- uh, reliable narrator? Here, I would say no. So the fact that <laughs> he comes from his like home country of Jamaica, he comes all the way to cold England to visit his sister, who he probably hasn't seen since the wedding, to be like, hey, I just want to make sure my sister's still alive and like well taken care of and everything. So he goes to visit her and then also like does a good job of defending her honor to be like, wow, you're going to make a cuck of my sister by trying to marry this other lady. No, I'm, I'm going to protect my family and not let you do this. So like way to look out for family. <laughs> Richard, yeah, well done. I, I also think he's just... Like all the other versions of this, he comes in with the lawyer and it's not super clear how on board with the plot he is. Mm-hmm. Um, like, especially the ones where we're, symp- we're more sympathetic towards Rochester and we don't feel like he's maybe making his wife crazy. But in this one, he so clearly doesn't want to be a part of it. He's just like there. <laughs> and he goes, I don't know. I just like, yeah, I guess he is married. And I was there for the wedding and I did see my sister a few months ago. And honestly, I don't know what to do, man. I'm just kind of here. And then Rochester's <laughs> like, you weak, pathetic little man. I'd sooner strike a woman as you. And it's like, whoa, yeah. Rochester, you're, you, it's just those moments where I'm like, you don't get to be this mad when you're in the wrong. Yeah, seriously. Oh my God. Uh, so um, a few notes from like earlier in this that I just want to mention. I love how this version uh, really hammers in hard that both of them are unattractive. Uh, there are two lines that I wrote down where I think it's in the proposal scene when he's like talking about how she's magical and she's like, no magic could make you handsome. It's like, holy shit. Like, it's so savage. And then like the next day when she's getting married, because obviously it's a 24 hour time jump. Um, when she's in like trying on the the wedding dress and mrs fairfax is like why miss jane you're almost pretty that one down too oh my god if someone said that to me while i was trying on a wedding dress i'm like you can get the fuck out of here as one of your bridesmaids in your wedding i will fully bounce someone who has the gall to say that to you amazing thank you Um, (laughs) 
unless it's me, because this is one of the things I also have a, I have some other uh, period drama lines that I'm planning on saying to you on your wedding day. And you know about some of them. I'm very excited Um, for this. (laughs) But the other thing that I really want to talk about with that dress is, oh my God, did you notice anything different about this wedding dress versus some of the other wedding dresses that we've seen? Um, If I'm in my memory, nothing's standing out to me. Was it, it was like more form fitting? It was the most 70s wedding dress. Ah, okay. If you had told me their whole wedding, he's wearing a baby blue suit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the, the whole wedding, I looked up a bunch of 70s wedding pictures. I am going to put this on our Instagram and do a Amazing. side-by-side of her dress and the 70s wedding dress. Amazing. We've talked about the fact that every adaption has, is, a, is a product of the time that it was made in. Yes. This one is the most product of a time it was made in. And I don't know... <laughs> I like genuinely, I think that the baby blue suit and like his whole thing, like if you told me that that was an actual wedding from the actual seventies, I would have been like, sure. Yeah. Um, the mutton chops are odd, but whatever, do what you want. You, can, you make a choice. <laughs> I'm proud of you because his hair, even like his hair is a very seventies haircut. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if mutton chops were in style. I wouldn't, but I could double check. It, it's very possible. <laughs> But just uh, like super, super intense, very, very 70s wedding. They all have that a little bit. None mm-hmm. of them have had the like wedding dress itself look that intensely the moment. The thing that stood out to me along these lines is so after Jane uh, is rescued from the rain outside the front door of her cousins uh, and she wakes up in bed and the monologue says, so like three days later, I was able to like get up and walk around. And she, we last saw her like soaked uh, from the rain. And now as she like rises from this bed, I think it's supposed to be implied, at least I interpreted it, that this is like her first time actually getting up ever after having been placed there. Her hair is very well coiffed and somebody took the time to install her bumpet and tease her, her roots. So it's like, oh, thank God we have to make her seventies pretty before she wakes up. Yeah. Well, cause you know how three days in bed always makes you look so much better. Oh yeah. Um, it fixes everything. <laughs> but yeah, no, she, I will say sometimes we get a very, um, soft vagabond Jane. Mm-hmm. They went all in on the vagabond Jane. She did look like she was about to die. I believe yeah. them. I, okay. One thing I loved about, I really liked the freaking housekeeper in this that lived with her cousins. Um, I love when the, the thing that made me kind of laugh was when Sinjin finds her, um, lying outside of the house and he knocks on the door and the housekeeper answers and she's like oh Mr. Sinjin come out of the storm there are vagabond- vagabonds around and she looks down and Jane is there and she's like you're still here Scat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was so funny I just imagine like if Sam came home and I was like oh my god so there's this like rat scratching at the door you would still there <laughs> and he's like Piper no we are good Christians we must bring this rat into our home and give it cheese and I'd be like mm, I guess you guys would reluctantly adopt a rat. Yes, that is hundred percent something that would happen. <laughs> um, and then well, Sam would ask the rat to learn Hindu Sandhi. <laughs> oh my God. But I will say like, like I said, how that moment plays and how much I like, I think Hannah is the name of the housekeeper. That sounds right. um, how much I like Hannah in those moments is fully dependent on how uh, vagabondish Jane is because like <laughs> sometimes she just looks like sort of windblown mm-hmm. this one she did look like a vagabond I don't know what to say to you like yeah I, they said vagabond instead of vagrant 
<laughs> I like the idea too that later when she's like explaining to Jane and this Jane, I've seen this, I think also in the eighties version, but this Jane is like, how dare you assume that I am poor? Like, that's not cool of you. You should have let me in right away. And the old lady's like, I don't know you. What if you came in and stabbed these ladies? Like I'm trying to protect these girls. Well, and like, she nursed all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, I have something super important to say about this Sinjin. It mm-hmm. is the most important thing that I, every time he was on stage or on camera, I said out loud. Mm-hmm. Vampire, vampire, oh, I, I can vampire see that. <laughs> I mean, so I feel weird about him because he is very tall, which I like, and he has a very straight nose, which I like. Uh, but when you look at his face, I think because his face is literally void of emotion, like his he appears handsome for a second, and then you're just like, wow, you're just boring and so emotionless and cold. So I think that kind of turned me away from him. But uh, I mean, he's decently good looking i mean he looks better than rochester does so he's got that going for him <laughs> no he doesn't oh my god <laughs> he absolutely i like usually i will have more respect for your difference in opinion than mine but i'm gonna now pull up one of my vampire screenshots of sinjin and again go to our instagram if you want to see this vampire sinjin oh my god i'm sharing <laughs> it with you right now i'm going to share my screen on this video call that we're on vampire yeah, I don't vampire. know. So, Lillian, don't you like vampire shame me? Some people find vampires <laughs> very attractive. Okay. <laughs> he looks like he's about to like bite her neck, and that would be hot. He's so old. He has the world's wispiest hair. <laughs> See, I don't think he's actually as old as he looks. He looks, I bet he's actually, this actor is probably like late 30s, early 40s. Totally. I also looked this actor up because I was so sure that he had a vampire vibe that I thought there was no way he hasn't already played a vampire. He has been in a lot of things. I haven't found any like actual evidence, although I didn't spend like an hour digging through his IMDb. Vampire, this man is a vampire, but I've seen other pictures of him like in other things because of that. And he doesn't look this creepy at all. He also looks about 30 years older in this than he does in something he played in the 80s, which Mm -hmm. means he's 10 years older in that. So he (laughs) aged backwards. They definitely tried to make him really creepy and they ding, dang succeeded. The number of times this man is standing over Jane's shoulder, like looking at her weirdly close to her neck vampire jane don't go to india with him he is a vampire you know what Uh, if she's into it which it turns out she's not she'd rather be with a blind stub of a man than a a tall vampire it's a tough choice do you want to go with the man who locked his last wife in the attic and she was apparently crazy before (laughs) or do you want to go with the man who is super clearly a vampire and has out loud expressed that he does not love you and is your cousin Oh my God. Ooh, You're I mean, rich now. You can go somewhere else. Yeah. Go on vacation, yeah. Girl. <laughs> um, okay. One thing I want to mention since we're talking about Sinjin and the family and Jane's time uh, there, I freaking died because we've had a line like this similar before, but I think it was nicer for the cousin when uh, Jane expresses how Sinjin proposed and wants her to go to India. In the other version, the cousin's like, oh no, like, it's that's too much sun for you in this one she literally says she's like jane you would die after three months in india <laughs> she's like, oh my god you wouldn't like, and and not with like a mocking 
her tone. Like, it's not like a, uh, you die if you went to India, but like a, no, I'm like actually worried about you. You would not survive. (laughs) Right. It's like, this is not a time where you like get some shots and then go to a foreign country. Like you're going to get bit by a mosquito and then just straight up die. (laughs) Not good. Charges off for India. So I wrote this down because I did feel like it was a good descriptor of this engine and potentially all engines. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that it probably had some additional connotations at the time, just based on the way they said it. But I also think current connotations is the way that I mean it, mm-hmm. which is they referred to Sinjin as crusty. Yes, crusty. I loved that so much. It was very good. Oh my God. There was a while when, um, and it was like totally a joke, but back when we could actually go out to bars and clubs and stuff, I think I remember one night Maya and Grace being like, oh, we want to go find some crusty dudes. <laughs> Or maybe they said crunchy, but crusty is way funnier. I'm pretty sure they, based on knowing our friends, they're way more into crunchy dudes. Crunchy but dudes I think crunch. you and I would definitely see these dudes. They would be like so crunch, crunch, crunchy, and we would be like so crusty. So crusty. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah, uh, I thought it was really funny that in um, her monologue, uh, when she's uh, talking about <laughs> Sinjin's going to go off and serve God, and she's like, we each have our master to serve. And I'm like... Okay, he's serving God and your master is this crunchy, crispy, icky man. That's a bad master, Jane. Woof. And then also his thing about like her being like, I don't know what I would even do there. And his response is like, I would set tasks for you hour to hour. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote next said, this would fucking kill me. Having a man, especially a vampire, tell me what to do hour by hour. Are you kidding me? I can barely have people who are paying me money to do a job. Tell me what to do now. And now, Jane, I want you to go and sort the bodies. <laughs> it's like, oh, yay. I'm so glad I married this dude. I feel, I feel great about this. This is good. <laughs> I need to talk about, do you have something else with Sinjin? Because otherwise I have a really important Jane Rich person evolution that we need to talk about. Go for it. Tell me. Okay. The tassels. Well, yes, I wrote down the tassels. She, I liked them on the, on the cloak. She made a choice. I, where I feel like in, I, we specifically talked about this in the 2011 version, mm-hmm. there's always a little bit of an evolution of Jane post getting rich, mm-hmm. but this one, she very clearly is wearing more things. And I think yeah. her dresses are better, mm-hmm. but woof, the bonnet tassel cloak combo did not do it for me. I was See, I, not a fan. I liked the cloak. I thought the tassels on the cloak were nice. Um, her bonnets, the whole style of bonnet in this, Jane usually wears ones that look like they're made out of straw and have very like structured towers kind of coming off the back. Mm-hmm. They're not really soft. Um, and so that's not my personal style. So I'm not crazy about her bonnets throughout. Um, but I did like her tassel cloak. I thought that was nice. I didn't like the tassel cloak. It reminded me of the jackets the like suede jackets that people wear with the like fringe situation on the back. I like those. I, yeah, I don't like those. <laughs> Lillian. Okay. We found out Lillian does not like vampire men and she doesn't like cowboy tassel jackets. This is the country Western in- vampires would be the last thing Lillian would ever want. <laughs> oh but I would watch it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> this is the most, I think this is the most full-fledged like disagreement straight up and down like I like this I don't like this we've ever had I love that we both thought the same thing about the cloak that the description (laughs) like resonates for you and you're like yep this does seem right Mm -hmm. however you like it and I don't for the same reason and that's fine (laughs) 
<laughs> not fine. Oh, Lillian, no. This is a accepting podcast. Oh, okay. I changed my mind. It is fine. Yay. <laughs> I liked that when she returns, um, she took off the tassel cloak and she has this surprise plum dress underneath, which I think is like the first time we see her wearing something with some color. It's also, I think, probably very intentional that it's this like kind of rich color. Like I typically think of you know, with like royalty, you think of deep reds and blues. And so that she had this kind of plum that really stood out as like being like, oh, here's my money. You can see it on my body. Another thing about fashion in this, I personally really loved the big poofy sleeves. I, how did you feel about those? I liked them. I liked them too. I thought they were good. Um, I, I don't, I was trying to figure out how much of like a representation of that. We'll have to get a fashion expert on here Mm -hmm. Um, because I wanted to know how much of a representation of, again, that how much is this, what was cool in the seventies. And so they incorporated that into the way that they were representing these period costumes Mm -hmm. versus how much that was a style of those period costumes. Like the necklines and stuff um, are something else that I look at a lot. And those like cut down V necklines were very Mm -hmm. Victorian Mm -hmm. um, because I am fully obsessed with Queen Victoria. Um, (laughs) Some of the other stuff less so, but very, very interesting. Um, I, I have a couple other notes about right after tassels. I also wrote about when Jane was leading around blind Rochester Mm -hmm. She did not lead him around like he was a blind man. There were several points. There's one in particular where they're walking into the house where she like is guiding him in, but she just kind of walks through the door. And if he was for real blind, he absolutely would have walked into a stone pillar. Like he takes a step (laughs) to the side and doesn't hit the stone pillar. And she says like two seconds later, I will be your eyes and I will like guide you ever. And I was like, I wouldn't take her up on that offer, man. Get a stick. Oh my God, get a stick. The woman you love or a stick in your hand. <laughs> she Listen, she'll love you and she'll take you wherever, but she is not watching out for you. She's not going, Here's there's a step here. Don't walk into that literal wall. So Lillian, I think this is something that if we wanted to um, look at it from our own kind of biased perspective. So this version, it's pretty clear. We don't like this Rochester very much. He does not deserve forgiveness or redemption. And so therefore, I think it's kind of funny that Jane's just like, <laughs> I'll totally help you, psych. Oops, did you stub your toe again? Sorry about that. Maybe you shouldn't lock ladies in attics, Rochester. <laughs> and I oh love God. her teasing here. Like, I thought that was good. She's really like mm-hmm. rubbing it in. Oh my God, the thing that I wrote down, I thought this was so funny, where she says, I only wanted to tease you to make you less sad. And like, he kind of goes with it. He's like, oh yes, very funny, Jane. But inside, he's definitely like, ouch oh I'm crying oh no she likes other men and I'm not that oh no no I really think because when I was thinking about this when I was watching these two episodes and I I will say I went into the first three episodes with much lower expectations Mm -hmm. and then I went into these episodes with really high expectations Uh so that could be part of the reason why I feel so differently about these but I just adored episode two Rochester. Mm -hmm. I loved their real conversation. I felt like they were actually falling in love. Mm -hmm. And I really, really liked that. Like it didn't seem like any, like it was like the reason that we believe they're in love is because they say they're in love. Like, no, I felt like we saw them fall in love. And I really, really liked that, which is part of the reason why I'm so (laughs) disappointed and so mad and how irredeemable Rochester behaves in these episodes. And again, it's, it's the thing that we talk about almost every time Mm -hmm. where it's these like very slight differences in super specific moments make how I feel about it 
completely different. Well, totally. I mean, that it's the little things that matter most and that add up in this way, especially when it comes to like the really important, like base questions. Cause I feel like you tease me sometimes about like, Oh, Piper, you're more into like physical attractiveness then. And you're like, I'm you Lillian say that you like personality better. And though I had do always feel the need to defend myself where I'm like, I also like personality Lillian. It's not just looks, <laughs> but the thing is, is like, for me, if somebody doesn't meet the base criteria of what I need out of a character to be like the love interest, it doesn't matter how hot they are. Then I'm yeah. just like, no, I don't care about you. If you don't care about the child that you're looking after, if mm-hmm. you're this cruel to the woman that you married like it doesn't matter what you look like you could be timothy dalton then but i feel like he plays it off better and has way they just handle that whole movie so much better than this does in my opinion so i'm like no he's hot and he does these good things in addition to all of the other complicated stuff in the story and to be clear i think i think i say it's personality a lot like that's me saying that i also think um one of the other things that I would say is a differentiator between the way that we interpret these actions isn't necessarily just looks it's the, it's the tension and that like quiet moment thing. And like, Mm -hmm. I would say those things are things where like, I like them, they Mm -hmm. add something for me, but they're not make or break where Mm -hmm. I feel like at least as we've talked about it, like how much tension and heat and like attraction there is in those moments feels very make or break. So I would describe that as the difference as much as, or if not more than, the physical attractiveness and mostly for the physical attractiveness. I do mean height. He just has to be tall. That is such a thing. Cause as you described this vampire, I just kept looking at how tall he was. And I was like, yeah, but he's a tall vampire, Lillian. Maybe he'll bite you and be spooky, but he'll also grab things off the top shelf. He's when lurking, you can't reach them. He's lurking over you, but at least he can get over you. Yeah, exactly. He can wrap <laughs> those big skinny long stick arms around you. <laughs> And offer no warmth. (laughs) I think that's part of it for me too, is he's just so angular. He's very long. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a lot of gangle, this man. It's very true. (laughs) I actually kind of liked these two episodes a bit more than the original ones. And again, I think last week it was because I was like not quite in the right mindset, maybe. Um, I think what grabbed me about this partially is that there was only two episodes instead of three. So it was shorter, <laughs> but also <laughs> I liked, um, I really, as much as I hated these plot points made me despise Rochester. I was really intrigued by this exploration of Bertha's character. And so I liked that it gave her that. And so this is definitely, I think my favorite Bertha and I, I like her in this a whole lot. And so that's something that I think added to this for me. Um, but just in for a little benefit uh, for the people, because I know this is kind of a beloved version for some of our friends, I do want to say there were a few moments and lines that really like plucked at my little romantic heart that I did like that I thought this Rochester did well. There was one um, when he's taking her to the garden for the proposal, and he said something along the lines of like, uh, he takes, he just holds her hand, which was very soft and sweet. As we all know, that's like amazing for us. And then he said something, he's like, the sun is setting and the moon will soon rise. And that was very like gentle and pretty. And again, it takes us to this kind of thing that they have sometimes where they are their most open, vulnerable selves when they are in nature, away from society. And I think that's really beautiful. And I love that for them. But then also there was a line that he said at the very end, which I thought delivered from anybody else would make me swoon head over heels. But he says, I've touched you. I've heard you. I cannot give up these joys. And I thought that was so sweet. And I really liked that. So yeah, there were some good moments. I also think as much as we're the ones with the microphones and therefore have more authority inherently than anyone else, (laughs) um, 
we we also talked a lot at the beginning of this episode about the fact that we're not experts on Jane Eyre. So I genuinely would love to hear from our listeners about yes. what it is about this that you particularly loved. And you can do that via email, um, airbuds at gmail.com or on any of our social medias. So it can be like a larger conversation, which has been so much fun to hear other people's perspectives on things. This is just Piper and I sharing our opinions. And exactly. I would love to hear what it is that you like about these moments. Is it the same things? And it's similar to what Piper and I've talked about where some of the things are just more important or less important to you. Like, is this truer to the book and you really love the book? And so you wanted something that played out that way, or is it that you don't feel that Bertha is portrayed as sympathetic as we seem to think? And so it doesn't affect you as much the way he treats her. Or do you think that we're misinterpreting the way that he's teasing whatever? Like, I genuinely would love to hear what it is about this version that makes it one of your favorites. Yeah. I do have moments that I really like. Um, I just think that the way that Rochester plays out in these last two episodes in particular um, make these last two episodes a lot less appealing for me. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that was really well stated. So yes, please share your opinions. And um, I'd be happy if we can get like a nice little list of things. We could read them uh, for the next one, which do, should we mention that right now and then do our, our wrap up? And do you have like a bonnet watch or something or? I don't have bonnet watch for this. I mostly was really distracted by those tassels. They kind of took a lot of my <laughs> my energy. Um, I, I do have one little fun fact, uh, that is not like a, my usual IMDB fun facts, mm -hmm. but the, uh, little girl that cleans up Ruth's or that cleans up Jane's schoolhouse is named mm -hmm. Ruth. Very and nice. I thought that was, that stuck out for me because my puppy Ruth was sitting right next to me at the time. And then I also think they did incorporate a lot of the lines that I really love from the book, which I like the, the string, the one string tied around and then mirroring that new, that moment played really, really, really well in this. And she delivered the whole line of, do you think, because I am poor like that with, they always, that's mm -hmm. a must for me in an adaptation. Jane has to say that full line and she did. So I was like, yes. Hooray. And then I've seen that bird line so many places now that it like really stands out for me. Like that. I'm no bird. I'm mm -hmm. free. Yeah. Um, and I will eventually memorize it and say the whole thing, but I didn't write it down this time and I apologize, <laughs> but yeah, I think let's do the wrap up and then we'll tell people about our super special next episode. Amazing. I think I just want to end cause I turned my note page over and there was one thing I didn't mention. I think another thing that didn't quite work for me about this Rochester, he did the old timey kiss that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And for me, it doesn't work with him where he grabs her by the shoulders forces her face into his, presses his lips, and then pulls back. And I'm like, whoa, I don't think she got anything from that, dude. <laughs> that was all you, if you even liked it. <laughs> like, did you like it? Like, I don't know. At I least, don't like those kind of kisses. They did do, I will say, they did a lot more kissing mm -hmm. than some of the other versions. Um, not the best kissers, but no one has been as bad as 97. That's mm -mm. true. At least they weren't just trying to breathe each other's <laughs> air. They were just like, <laughs> <laughs> so that was my last note. Um, are we doing our ratings? Yes. Do you want me okay. to go first? Uh, yes. Go first, Lillian. So um, if you'll remember last time I had a nine out of 10. Yes. Uh, these episodes, and I really did keep my rating to these two episodes. Mm -hmm. 6.5 out of Yo. 10. Yo. Tassels. I went yeah. with tassels though. 
Oh, nice. Okay. I'm giving this, I think my last reading was a six. Um, I think I'm going to give this a seven out of 10 Bertha's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If for graphic for that one, maybe just like take a little like circle screenshot of her face. Uh, you know, use your okay. artistic judgment, Lillian. I trust you as a designer. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I am a professional marketer, not at all any sort of art background and you are literally an artist, but I'll just <laughs> go with my gut check. <laughs> well, Lillian, there's a big difference between someone who draws and someone who can design. I have no eye for design. <laughs> I can draw to my heart's content, but when it comes to making uh, diagrams and uh, graphics, I struggle a bit. So, okay. Good to yes. know. Good to yeah. it's, it's See, we both know our strengths and our weaknesses, and that's what makes this podcast great. Exactly. Yeah. Um, speaking of things that are going to make this podcast great. Um, so our next adaptation is very outside of the previous wheelhouses that we've done. Um, it is from, uh, 1982. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of you who are really intense Janeer fans might go, there isn't an 82 adaption. There is, (laughs) it's not called Jane air. It is called Jane air head. It is part of Second City's TV spoof of it. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Second City TV, it was a a similar idea to Saturday Night Live. You would recognize a lot of the actors on this. Um, And uh, they did a half of one of their episodes was a Jane Eyre spoof that they did in 82 that from looking at it is very much making fun of the 73 version or poking fun at it. Um, <laughs> and so we're going to watch that and do probably a little bit of a shorter episode next week because I am traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was um, something we already had on our list to watch and then also is going to make it so that we can keep doing an episode, even though I'm going to be in Boston. Yeah. And you know, Lillian, um, they say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So uh, a spoof clearly means that somebody loved this enough that they're like, I'm going to write an entire comical version of this. So yeah, I can't I, wait. I've watched the first like 30 seconds just to make sure that we had a version that was watchable. Um, and I'm telling you, I don't think that's going to be the vibe of this, but we can, <laughs> we can find out for sure. We will, let's answer that question in our next episode. So stay on the edge of your seats, dearest listeners. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh my gosh. I'm very excited to finally do one that is going to be uh, a departure from just like somebody reading the novel and trying to do their best of making a version of it. Um, so I can't wait to see what this is. Yeah. I'm pretty excited as well. It looks, it's got, it's got a great cast of comedic actors. So I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, you guys, thank you so much. We've already mentioned uh, how you can find us, but again, just real quick, um, airbuds at gmail.com and then airbuds. Uh, on any social uh, platform, pretty much. We are there. So uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Um, Go to Instagram to see these amazing images that Lillian has collected for us, and we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.